Hi, welcome to Bite Size Bible Studies. I'm Luke Gradeless. If you haven't been here before, our goal is to spend a few minutes together in God's Word, let it activate our minds, touch our hearts, and transform our souls. We've been going through the book of First Peter, and as First Peter has been through chapters 1, 2, and 3, Peter is not avoiding topics that are completely controversial for our day and age. Right In chapter 2, we talked about the government and how Christians relate to it. We also talked about servitude and slavery and how Christians are supposed to react in that. And in chapter 3, he just keeps it coming. He goes to wives and husbands and what those relationships are supposed to look like. So let's jump in. We're again in First Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. He says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold, jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, these are very important passages that you make sure you understand, one, social context, and two, that you understand this is God's perspective, not the world's. More and more as we read things about gender, as we read things about sex, as we read things about marriage, raising children, Christians are going to find over and over again that the word does not have the same perspective as the world. And you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose as a Christian, which path do you look at? Are you going to look at how the world defines marriage, how the world defines gender, how the world defines sex and all these topics? Or do you have a faith and hope in God and believe that this is the infallible, perfect word of God and that this is how you're going to build your life on? I think for a long time, Christians in Western civilization have had the ability to kind of ease on this topic because there was so much alignment between culture and scripture as far as how we looked at a lot of these topics. And what we are seeing happening day in and day out is those two are getting further and further away. And so Christians really are going to have to think about which perspective do they take. Now, as we look at this, there's a couple things to keep in mind. First and foremost, God does not see man and woman the same. He sees us both equal in value. He sees both of us as bearers of his image. He sees both of us as precious, both of us as members of the kingdom, both of us heirs to the throne. Both of us are unbelievably valuable to him, and he died for each and every one of us. And all of us have an equal part in the ministry and what our focus is. But where he doesn't see us as the same is how we're built, how we function, what we're good at, and what our roles are. And this is a hard thing in this day and age, because in this day and age, we don't believe that anymore. More and more, as you look around at the world, the world is trying to tell you there is no difference between male and female. Nowadays, we're even seeing people say there isn't such a thing as male and female. I mean, if you pay attention to the news, you've seen recently like J.K. Rowling, who in no way, shape, or form is viewed as a conservative Christian, 
has been canceled because she said that there are biological women. And that now is a controversial statement in, in our culture. And so what you have to realize is all these things that are changing around us in the culture, they are attacking God's structure, which God's structure is there's men and there's women. There are husbands and there are wives. There are different roles they play, and their greatest strength comes when they use their strengths together to fill each other's gaps. Right? When we are together, when we are complete, when we show sacrificial love to one another, then there is a beautiful, powerful force that God has. The world nowadays says, no, you don't need someone else to complete you. You are everything you need to be, and everybody is the same. So again, these are these places where people have to think about, am I from the world or am I from the word? When we look at this, it's important to understand context. So in chapter 3, who's Peter talking to? He's talking to Christian wives who are married to unchristian men. And so what he says to them, this is, again, that's, that's an important distinction. He's not saying Christian men and Christian women. He's saying Christian wives marry to non-believers. What does he tell them? He says, be subject to your own husbands, right? So show them love and show them respect so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won by your conduct of their wife. And so what he's saying to them is, look, your husbands are on the wrong path. They don't know God. They don't know Jesus Christ as Lord. But you have an unbelievable opportunity as their wives to show in your words and in your actions a selfless love a dedication to them, a dedication to the Lord, and through that witness that your life will provide, which, let's be real, if you're someone's wife, nobody is going to have more influence than you. That is going to be an awesome opportunity for you to reach out to them and possibly break the walls upon their heart and open them up to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that's what you see really through verses 3, 3. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. He's encouraging, if you're a Christian woman married to a non-believer, use that opportunity to show love and respect. And the love and respect that you're giving, I think this is a huge thing to understand. Christian marriage is not just a two-party thing. It's a three-party thing. right? There's the husband, the wife, and for Christians, there is God. When I took my vows of marriage to my wife, they weren't just vows to her. They were also vows I was making to God. Because God is part of our marriage. And so I think that's hugely important because in marriage, what we all are going to realize is no, how, no matter how wonderful our spouse is, we're all sinners. I'm a sinner. She's a sinner. You have two sinners handling the most complicated, uh, difficult, emotional topics in all the world. And if there isn't the love of God, the sacrificial, holy love of God there, it's easy for those relationships to go sideways. And so what God's saying here is, look, even in those tough times, remember the, co the covenant, the action that you're displaying. It's not just to them. You're doing that out of love to me. And so keep that focus in your life. And so then he moves on and he talks about how these women should be viewing their beauty and their value. And so in verse 3 says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. No, but let you, your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So what's he encouraging them to say? He's saying, look, don't allow yourself 
to be valued how the world wants you to be valued, with how you dress and your fashion and your beauty. That's not how God values a human being. He doesn't view us by the superficial outside looks. He views our value from where? From our hearts and from our spirits. And he's saying to these wives, make sure that with your husband, you're doing the same thing. That your focus on on attracting your husband is not that you're just trying to be this object of beauty to him from a superficial standpoint, but that you are being an object of beauty to your husband based on the way you love him, that you respect him, and the way that you cherish him. And so I think that's a very important thing because both for husbands and wives, we never want to be viewed just on who we are on the superficial. We want to be viewed for who we are as people in our hearts. So then he goes to verse 5. And in verse 5 he says, This way is exactly the way it's always been. This has always been the way that it is with God's people, is that we're not about the outward, we're about the eternal. And where people get hung up, especially when you start looking at, at these words, is in verse 5, he hits both of them. He says, well, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, right? Not with the superficial, but with the spiritual. He says, by submitting to their own husbands. And so that's a trigger word these days. I can't tell you how many times in pre-marriage counseling I've sat with a husband and wife or a couple that's about to be husband and wife. And when you say that word submit, people are just like, Ugh, I don't, I don't want to hear that. And part of that problem is, is that we view submit in the wrong way. In American culture, submission comes from two forces going at each other in one oppressing or overpowering one force. And so in that picture, if you're being submissive, it's because you've been beaten, you've lost, you're inferior. But that's not what God's describing here. This is not submission because you were beaten. This is submission because you love. This is not because you say, I'm weaker or less intelligent or less faithful or, or anything. It's you saying, because I love you, I am willing to sacrifice for you. And part of that sacrifice is I'm going to honor the God structure of this relationship and I'm going to submit to your leadership. It doesn't mean you blindly follow that leadership when it's going the wrong direction. It doesn't mean you, that that leader should never discuss things with their wife. It just means in God's structure, he has asked the man to lead the home, to trust in his wife, to adorn her, to see her as precious and beautiful. And that that wife, even though she may be more intelligent and more talented, that she honors what God has asked for and that she is going to submit, not because she's lost, not because she's inferior, but because she loves. And that love requires sacrifice. Then as he comes out of this, he goes to the, the, the second topic. He talks about men. And so he says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you with the grace of life. And so again, trigger words, right? But it's important to understand what he's saying here. He's saying, likewise, husband, live with your wives in an understanding way. What's he saying? He's saying, yes, they submit to you, but do not be oppressive to them. Be kind, be compassionate, be understanding. Seek that alignment with them. And in seeking that alignment, what are you doing? You're showing honor to them, right? A man is supposed to treat his wife as a precious thing. If you go into Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul, or Paul talks about marriage, everybody always remembers that Paul calls on the wife to submit, but he also calls on the husband and he says, Husbands, 
you are to love your wives like Christ loved the church. Now, I don't know of any greater sacrifice, of any greater burden that you could have put on anybody than to say, you need to sacrifice for this person the way that Jesus Christ sacrificed for the church. Think of everything that Jesus did for us. That's how God wants man to view his relationship to his wife. And so this idea of the weaker vessel, what he's saying is, is this is like the, the, the clay vases they had back then. And these vessels, some of them, they were precious and they were beautiful. They were not to be thrown around. They, they were not just to be used for everyday regular things. They were to be treated with respect and honor. It's kind of like thinking about, you know, back in the day when you had fine china, right? If you're having pizza on Friday night, you don't use the fine china. But if you are going to have a big dinner or feast or Thanksgiving or something special, right? You pull out what? The precious vessel, or in this case, what he would call the weaker vessel. It's this thing that needs to be protected. And then again, he goes right back to the equality. And by this point, many people have checked out. So they don't, they don't catch what God's saying here about the equality. What does he say? He says, since they are what? They are heirs with you of the grace of life. And then something important he concludes with, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What is he saying there? He's saying our relationships as husband and wife are so essential because in the marriage relationship, it's the only relationship described in scripture where two become one. So the, the destiny of my life is tied to the destiny of my wife's. And if there is disunity in our home, if our marriage is not aligned, if we have not both submitted to Jesus Christ, then what are we going to see? We're going to see ripple effects in our life with Christ. We're going to see that it's a hindrance to our spiritual relationship with the Father. And so that's a lot to unpack there. And I know these are bite-sized Bible studies, though tonight it was not that small. What I'd encourage you is this is definitely one of those topics where you've got to pray, you've got to meditate, you've got to go look at other scripture. Ephesians chapter 6, a wonderful place to look to fill in some of the other context around what God is saying. But I think the big thing for Christians is this. One, do we believe what culture says about gender? Do we believe what culture says about marriage? Do we believe what culture says about love? Or do we believe what the word says? And what the word says is, we are equal, but we are different. We love, and that love is not lust, that love is sacrifice. It is both parties being willing to joyfully sacrifice for the good of the other. And through that all, they do that, not just because the other is worth it. They do it, yes, because of that, but also because it is a promise and a commitment that they have made to the Almighty God. And in those moments where your spouse is failing, what you know is God is not. And that covenant you made with him, it is worth honoring. So brothers and sisters, for those of you that are in marriage, I pray for you. You are in a beautiful institution, an institution that was created in the perfection of the garden before the fall of man. And for those of you that aren't married yet, these are definitely things to consider as you're thinking about where God's taking you and those relationships that are in your life. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us. May God bless you. May God use you. And we will see you soon.